I thought that coming out would be like the deepest layer I would go to. And then maybe three years after that, I realized I was a people pleaser. And that was that was the deeper layer that had kept me closeted, like even to myself. Today on the pod, we're talking about. Oh wait, sorry. Did you want to? Oh, um, uh, no. Actually, you, you, you no, go. No, no, it's okay. No, I insist, please. You guessed it. We're talking about people pleasing. About four years ago, I realized that I was a people pleaser. I was freshly broken up with and reflecting on how the relationship had unfolded and evolved and then ended. I felt emotionally dizzy like I had just been spun around in circles. I began to see how much I had twisted myself into different shapes for her. Not because she asked me to, but because I thought I should. I thought I needed to. I'd been constantly calculating who I should be in order for her to like me. Her approval and validation mattered too much to me. I looked back at how I'd always behaved in relationships, not just with her. How I'd shrunk myself down, made myself disappear, deferred. The smaller the better, I thought. The less likely to be pushed away or abandoned. This was faulty logic. I know that now. The term people-pleaser popped into my head one day as I was reflecting. I googled it and immediately saw myself in the list of characteristics that popped up. Being overly nice, not having any needs, having a hard time saying no. It was a depressing realization. I felt sad for the kid version of me who at some point had determined that this was the person she needed to be in order to be loved, a chameleon and shapeshifter. As a result, I didn't actually know myself, because when you're willing to be anyone, you're also no one. Although it's hard to recognize myself now in that person, I call myself a recovering people-pleaser. I like to compare these old people-pleasing behaviors to vestigial organs, which are organs that we don't need anymore, like the appendix or tonsils. But they're still there, barely serving a function, and more often than not, actually causing problems. I don't need to people-please anymore, but maybe it will always be at least some small part of me. That was an intro. I know that was a kind of a doozy. Also, there's, there's, I could honestly, I could have, I could have written something that went on forever about people pleasing. It's <laughs> such, it's such a, it's so near and dear to my heart. You know, the the appendix piece really hit home for me. You do know, do you have your appendix out? It's gone, and boy, do you feel it when it's unhappy, even though you don't need it, which See? is wild. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing, right? It's like these things that evolution hasn't gotten rid of yet and we still hold on to them they're still kind of there yeah Uh, we've got dylan popping in i think to help us with some of the people pleasing questions and uh yeah i think we should dive just dive right into some questions what do you think i've got one hi there i'm a queer woman from toronto loco i find myself people pleasing even on first dates i'll go out with someone and know it's not going anywhere by the end of the date and yet I find myself being overly engaging and maybe even leading them on a little bit. 
On my last date, they asked if I wanted to hang out again, and I said I'd love to, without even thinking. When I know I don't. Our community is small, and I don't want to burn any bridges, but I can't seem to help it in the moment. I've even gone on more dates when I know there isn't a connection. Yikes. I, f- I mean, I feel this person's discomfort. I can feel it through the however they submitted it. So it sounds like they are uncomfortable with the other person's discomfort in the sense that like, they don't want to admit, for example, that there's not a connection, probably because they're worried about the other person's feelings, which is key people-pleasing territory. This where... person knows they're a people-pleaser by that question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they must know, but they're clearly kind of fighting that. Instinct is still so strong. Totally. But they don't know how to undo it just yet or are too afraid of the discomfort that mm-hmm. they're going to feel when they start being more honest. It'll feel uncomfortable at first. And being, you know, just honest. And it's it's not honest in a cruel way. It's honest in a matter-of-fact way. Like, hey, pleasure, like, lovely meeting you, but this isn't the connection that I'm that I'm looking for, you know? You've told me some good ones of, like, just dropping in that friend or, like, I think having something in your pocket when you feel it going towards that. Right. That you can just pull out. Like, what, what yeah. Well... The thing with the friend thing, though, oh, is that I don't you if you're going to say I'd love to be friends, I truly believe you have to mean it. Oh, my gosh. This is still me people pleasing. I'm like trying to. Oh, my gosh. Because I call that a friend fake. We are doing this in real time, folks. Yeah, I'm, I'm discovering my people. pleasing. I call tendencies. that a friend fake. If like uh, you can say great to meet you. I just don't feel a connection. You're best of luck in your dating. I'm, I'm sure I'll see you around kind of thing best wishes well not best of luck best of luck i'm sure i'll see you around or whatever or like you know great meeting you and i'll see you like i'm sure i'll see you at events i i truly feel that if you're gonna say i'd love to be friends then you really need to mean that you actually want to be friends with them and follow up and actually be friends because there's the difference between being friends and being friendly right and probably what they want is just to be friendly with that person Mm -hmm. Because yeah, the community, like they said, is yeah, small. Like yeah. you're, you're going to bump into them at, you know, some event, some yeah. friend's house, whatever. And there's no, you know, there's no hurt meant when you just say it's not the connection for you or you just didn't, you know, feel the, the connection you're looking for, whatever, however you phrase it. It's not a personal thing. It's just, or I mean, there could be other circumstances that make you incompatible, but totally. like, you don't have to go into detail. It can just be a matter of saying that it's not what you're looking for. But I, I, I'm like a strong believer in not friend faking. Honestly, too, it will save you time in the long run yes. and future awkward conversations. And this is a huge thing that people pleasers also have to remember is that you have to go through that short term discomfort mm-hmm. in order to get the long term benefits. Because if you don't, then you are just suffering long term. Totally. Yeah, I think you nailed that. Okay. Yeah. What else do I want to say about that? Anything? Oh, also they said in the date that they kind of be overly engaging. Yeah. That they're leading, leading someone on. I think reframing that in their brains as like a disservice to them. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, reframing. Then the, then the rug is getting pulled out from under them. Totally. I think they need to be just... As they would be. Like, you don't have to go over the top to make them feel happy or comfortable or 
And that's the over nice thing that people pleasers yeah. do as well. If you identify yourself as a nice person versus mm. a kind person, there's a high probability that you're a people pleaser. Because nice, this is another thing I feel very strongly about, and I've written about, nice is superficial for the most part. Yep. And nice is not honest. Mm. Kind is honest, and there's a difference. You can And you can be a kind person, but still tell someone you're not interested. Or, you know what I mean? But the nice is feeling the immediate reaction to say, yes, I'd love to. I had a great time, right? Mm -hmm. That's that facade where you're uncomfortable with the discomfort that's about to happen, so you avoid it. And honestly, it's not that nice to give someone a false sense of, like, no. the date. So if you really want to please someone, maybe... They yeah, tell them the truth. <laughs> yeah, tell them the truth. We're getting the, like, the tough love here today. Just, you got to do it. Got to do it. Rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah. Okay, I think this is a good opportunity to check in with our resident expert, Dylan, on some people-pleasing questions from a, a relational therapist, psychotherapist perspective. Am I saying that right, Dylan? Chime in. To, like, you got it. Yeah. Yeah? You absolutely got it. I'm <laughs> okay, a great. relational psychotherapist. That's <laughs> okay. my thing. We're so excited to talk to you. Obviously, we're not therapists we're not experts we're coming from our own experience and that those of people we know so we're very excited to have your you know your expert lens applied to all the things we're talking about so thank you of course so i know from my own experience as a recovering people pleaser how i would define it but how would you define or describe people pleasing so for me I feel like at its core, people-pleasing is a preoccupation with being perceived by others in a positive light, to put it as simply as I possibly can. Right, absolutely. And so what are some common behaviors you would associate then with people-pleasing? Absolutely. Uh, conflict avoidance is a big one. Uh, so usually a kind of acquiescence or an excessive fear of being the target of anger or you know, displeasure, um, the discomfort that that brings, constantly trying to keep that at bay. Um, I would also say code switching is in there, this kind hmm. of tendency to read the room to determine your behavior or which parts of yourself are welcome and which you should hide. Part of that also being a kind of responsive versus assertive way of showing up in interactions with people where you're you're kind of following their lead rather than having the freedom to just show up as you are i think the underbelly of all of it is really just fear and anxiety and there's been times when I, I noted i don't know when this shift happened but even in things like professional settings whereas before I would do that kind of code switching, that chameleon-like stuff, that shape-shifting, where I felt afraid to speak up, say something, because I was worried about how it would be perceived. And at some point that shifted, though, and it feels great to just speak and not have those kind of questions ahead of time and worries and fears around, like, well, how's this going to land? So that really spoke to me, that kind of, rather than being reactive, responsive to what's there, actually like standing in your own voice and truth and not worrying yeah. kind of what other people are going to think. Yeah. Okay, next question. 
Why is people-pleasing so detrimental to our relationships, both relationships to other people and to ourselves? I mean, people-pleasing can allow you to get by in a lot of situations, in a lot of relationships. You know, you could people-please your way to the end of your life, but the problem is that it hinders authenticity. And we need authenticity in order to form fulfilling relationships in order to enjoy ourselves in relationship to other people. Um, so, you know, you're kind of taking the path of least resistance, but in doing so, depriving yourself of a lot of really rich experience. Yeah, like the cost is really great to just kind of yeah. get by and live that way. Um, yeah. And Lauren and I were talking about this before a little bit. And it speaks to what you were saying to this. I think there's an issue of trust there too. Like if I'm people pleasing, worried about what you're going to think, just being nice rather than being like honest with you. Exactly. It reminds me of how, you know, a lot of people pleasers at one point or another get called fake. And there's something like there's this accusation, right, of kind of like deception or untrustworthiness. And it's sad because, you know, it's not an intentional sort of malicious deception. It's actually a terrified, self-protective deception. So there's a nuance there that I think uh, it really helps to be aware of when we're talking about like fakeness or performativity or, you know, like what is going on for the person is important. Absolutely. That's got to be like a, a people pleaser's worst nightmare, too, to be like totally. thought fake or like. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That'd be mortifying, right? Yeah. And as a, as a recovering or continue in recovery yeah. people pleaser, I'm like, wait, they think I'm fake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not only have you failed in your people pleasing, but now you are the target of hatred and dislike yeah. and all the fairy things that we're trying to avoid. Totally. Pleasing. And you're right in it. We, I should say, too, this is also um, our therapy. Yeah. Having Dylan here, uh, you can hey, call us too. out. Yeah, I'm yeah, right there exactly. With you. I have an ex-people yeah. pleaser, uh, recovering people pleaser, relapsing people pleaser. All relapsing of the above, sometimes, so. too. Yeah. Um, OK, so that leads me to the next question, though. How can we change these behaviors, these people pleasing mm. tendencies? Ah, the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, people-pleasing originates in relational wounds, and relational wounds require relational healing. So you can't think your way out of people-pleasing. You can't promise yourself to end people-pleasing and find success with that. You need a safe, expansive, and permissive relationship in order to try and change while being able to get it wrong, while being able to, you know, fall back into old ways. There needs to be that kind of, that safety and that allowance um, and someone who can actually hear you and understand you in your journey of people pleasing and wanting to shift into something a little bit more brave and authentic. Totally. Um, and that, you know, that can be hard to find, but also so invaluable when we do. Mm -hmm. 
And a sense of awareness comes along with that too, right? Like, let's say I am in the middle of a conflict with a partner or someone I'm dating and I end up fawning and just deferring mm -hmm. uh, or being scared of their anger, then being able to say afterwards, like, I see what I did there. This is why I did that. Let's, let's have a, like a better plan for next time, how we deal with conflict. And yeah. like you said, that kind of permissive or that grace that they can also allow us to, to understand where we're coming from and why we might tend yeah. towards those things. Yes. Yeah. And discovering that safety and that like ability to speak to your own experience, it takes time. Like early stages of relationships are so hard for people pleasers for this very reason. You know, the stakes feel high. The interactions can be scary. The wondering what the other person is thinking about you is taking up a lot of space in your brain. Your body is dysregulated. Your nervous system is dysregulated. You know, you're fighting an uphill battle. Um, so, you know, it's it's a process and it requires some patience and gentleness with yourself. Yeah. Now, queerness can also, especially for newly out, maybe that can kind of make you worry more about fitting in or belonging. Do you think there's any dangers there that might kind of make us more prone in those stages to people pleasing? Yes, 100%. As queer people, the vast majority of us grow up learning that there are core parts of ourselves that we didn't decide were there, but are there nonetheless, that are not safe to show all the time or to all people. We learn really young to hide these things, to you know, read the room, as I was talking about before, to determine how we can and can't show up. You know, we're told that, you know, this part of you is unwelcome. This part of you is disgusting. This part of you is uh, like laughable, you know, whatever these kind of lessons that we're, we're taught are either from, you know, family or school or just general culture that gets integrated deep and early. So, you know, I think there's a huge correlation between people pleasing and queerness. Um, it's something that a lot of queer people struggle with. That just reminded me of one thing, and then we're going to move on. I thought that coming out would be like the deepest layer I would go to. And then maybe three years after that, I realized I was a people pleaser. And that yeah. was that was the deeper layer that had kept me closeted, like even to myself, because, again, that kind of disconnection and inauthenticity was just so deeply rooted. So, um, yeah, it goes yeah. deep. It goes deep. Yeah, it goes real deep. Yeah. You ready for another yeah. one? Yeah. Okay, this is about their job. Okay. Okay, I'm the one at the office that everyone goes to when they need something finished uh oh i'm always covering for others and just can't say no this could just be a whole episode on saying no yeah seriously <laughs> i can feel this person's building resentment for her i can feel it because that's you can just tell from even that sh small question that how many times is it she or they or uh, do we know say. okay you can just tell how many times they have been asked just in that small amount, right? Yeah. So it's constant. Um, I have the sense that people are asking because they know mm -hmm. that this person won't say no. Yeah. So they have established a reputation as someone who can't say no in the office. And maybe a little bit of overcommitting. Yes. A little bit of overcommitting and not checking in with themselves to see, like, can I really do this? 
maybe some guilt around saying no, which should never be the guide that we listen to the most when we're answering mm -hmm. to someone's request. We, we can admit that, okay, I might feel guilty if I say no, but then you still have to say no. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't mean, well, then I better say yes. Because if you say a dishonest yes, then you are going to resent it. someone at that point. You might be angry at yourself. You resent other people. But it's not really fair to resent those other people because you said yes. And they had no point. way to know that you didn't want to say yes. Yeah. Because you said yes. So if you're not being honest, it's not really fair to then hold the other people accountable for that because it's only it's only yourself you can hold accountable for that. Totally. Go cool. short and sweet. I love yeah, it. So yeah. Okay. I wonder if we could just talk about too. You you talked a bit in your opening about kind of twisting yourself into shapes and stuff like that. Mm. When did when was that coming up for you? Like, is it? In dating, is it in work? Is it in home? Like where with friends or where? Where did you where do you find those like big kind of now that you know you know yeah. the establisher people pleaser? Where are those people pleasing alarms going off? I mean, I think it all comes down to the fact that when you are people pleasing, you are more concerned with what other people think about you mm. than you should be. Yeah, and so first and foremost, you're thinking well, what are they going to think about me if I do this? What are they going to think about me if I say this? Are they going to think I'm not nice? Are they going to think I'm unattractive? Are they going to think, right? right? Yeah. So you're constantly calculating like, what do, who, do, who do I need to be here right now um, in this moment or for these people or for this person? I remember noticing a shift at work where suddenly I wasn't doing that. I've so been that person in past relationships where I get like, I was really, really good at intuiting, you know, partners' needs and what they wanted. And it's like you you do it so many times. Like you're, you know, just doing these little mm -hmm. things over time that's like, okay, I know they want this, so I'm going to say this. And like it's so much like mental gymnastics. Totally. And it's once you let that go, oh, my gosh, it's so much easier. Like I had to keep track of like mm -hmm. the things I had said when I was trying to think about, oh, they want this. So I'm going to say that. Totally. And then I'm like, if it's not your truth, then it's like you have to remember that thing you said. Totally. That wasn't you. Who you were pretending to be at <laughs> yeah. that time. Totally. And it's like it's yeah, it was a hard like it took time. But then it's like once you do it more and more. It's it's so much easier. It is so much easier. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's just so much easier to be your, in your authentic self and not trying to do think like 12 steps ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that definitely happens the most in romantic dynamics or dating yeah. too, because you're, you're doing that, especially in the early stages, you might be like, okay, well, who are, who do I need to be for them to like me rather yes. than reframing it as like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Do I like them? Yes. Are we compatible? Do it like. So it's a real like it's truly a reframing from a focus on other people mm -hmm. to a focus on yourself and the kind of security and just standing in who you are and what you like and what you don't like and not thinking because as a people pleaser, you want to be the same thing yeah. as the that other person. Yeah. They like that. You want to like that. Yeah. Like because you believe that that's going to bring you closer mm -hmm. to that person when in fact there's nothing more annoying and off putting than someone just being exactly like you and catering to you and wanting like wanting to morph into the mm -hmm. same you know what i mean that's actually a very unattractive thing yeah 
because it just becomes obvious at a certain point that you're kind of willing to bend in any direction and you don't have any kind of, you know, stability of your own. This is like a small example, but I think of something as simple as like picking a restaurant in the early days. Absolutely. When you're just like, you pick, you pick. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if the person I was going on Jane was like, hey, there's this awesome restaurant I love. Yes. I'm like, oh, heck yeah. I know. Let me learn about you. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of indecision. And I, like, I have such a history of being indecisive. Like, it used to be an inside joke all the time with me about basically not being able to make a decision. Yeah. And that's also something that gets easier the less you people please because Mm. I was indecisive partly because I was worried about what other people would think about my decision. Mm. Are they going to, are they going to, do they not like that? Does that mean that they won't like me if they don't also like that thing that, that I like? Like, so it's, it's, and it's exhausting. Like you said, like even just thinking back to it, I'm, I'm thinking about how, how mentally and emotionally tiring it is because you're just trying so hard, trying so hard. And like, you don't have to try that hard. You just need to be yourself. Yeah, and if, like, you wanted to date yourself, then you're probably a narcissist. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that will be another episode. Um, it's so, <laughs> this is so, like, this episode is is so well paired with our boundaries episode, which, yes. if you haven't listened, go, t- go take a listen. Because it's like, it's, yeah, it's like, once you start not people-pleasing and listening and tuning into yourself, it gets easier yeah. and it sets, and you're actually inviting people in the same way when you set a boundary. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So Dylan has identified for us, you know, who, who and what makes a people pleaser for folks who, you know, the light bulbs are going off. What are just a couple quick kind of takeaways um, for someone who's trying to not, you know, bring people pleasing to their, maybe their dating uh, life? I or think, just life in general. Yeah. I mean, just start first, just start by tuning into that instinct. Mm hmm. Um, when I first realized as a people pleaser, I was like an investigative journalist uh, of myself or like, I was like a scientific study of my own. Literally, like I'd, I'd hold the door open for someone who was super far away and then afterwards be like, okay, did I just want to seem like a really nice person? Oh my gosh. Like literally I was like, did I go, did I go out of my way there just so that I would appear nice? So I was probably nitpicking too much, but it really opened my eyes to be like, I don't, it was just freeing in the sense to be like, I don't have to be this person. Mm -hmm. Like to realize that people pleasing isn't who you are. It has been a role in behaviors that you have been playing Mm -hmm. for whatever reason that you figured when you were a kid that that was the person you needed to be. Right. So it's a very freeing thing to kind of separate like who you are from who from a people pleaser. And it's important to make that distinction to be like, okay, this isn't who I am. These are behaviors that I tend towards. Um, And then once you are able to separate that, you can then ask yourself, well, who am I then? Hmm. What do I like? What, what are my values? That was one thing that I had that, that I was also trying to write down. Or I'd talk to friends and it was really frustrating because I remember one friend being like, I was like, okay, I want to, what are my values? What are my top like three or five values? I need to figure this out because again, about having that stability in yourself, mm-hmm. if you know what your values are, you're not going to bend in all these directions to take on other people's values. Yeah. Right. 
And so I tried to establish what are my values. And I remember asking a friend at one point and she's like, I know what your values are. Like, I can tell you. And I was like, why can you tell me? And I can't like, I'm trying to write this stuff down. I don't even know like what my values are yet. You know, you're doing like a book report on yourself. Honestly. And you're like, I actually haven't cracked the page yet. Yeah. And then other people are like, I have the answer. I know what you value. I know you well enough. And I'm like, really? So, um, so that's a, a kind of the first thing is to settle on, you know, separate who you are from the people pleaser, mm-hmm. realize that's not fundamentally who you are, and then start to figure out who you actually are. And I was quite sad for a while. Like this sent me into a full on spiritual kind of breakdown and then, you know, also awakening. So there's a positive side to it. But I really had, I was really sad for, over this realization that I was like, fuck, I, this poor kid thought she needed to be like this yeah you know um wait what's wrong though with being nice are we saying don't be nice no be kind oh right 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 right, right. (laughs) you don't have to be nice you have to be kind or like but it's even about being small like Mm. people pleasing is a very small way to be right you defer you just do what someone else wants to do you like what other people want to like it's a very small existence yeah and that's that's no way to live well thanks a lot this has been really helpful Thank you. I mean, I could talk about people pleasing for days, so maybe we should do another episode down the road. Yeah, we'll come back. We can come back to all things. Uh, don't forget to find us in all the places. If you liked what you've heard these last few episodes, please share with your friends and, uh, yeah, do all the things. Dear Queer. This has been another episode of Dear Queer. Just a reminder, we are not actually experts. Any advice given should actually come from our experts who we will bring in from time to time. Music brought to you by Sean Patrick Brennan, produced by myself, Lauren Hogarth, and your host, as always, Elena Papianis. <laughs> I'm getting that. <laughs>